It's good to be with all of you again. Uh, by show of hands, how many of you were here last week? And remember, awesome, great. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of review uh, for those that weren't here, but uh, we've been going through the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is maybe a familiar story for some of you who may maybe grew up in the church or been reading your Bible. Um, but we're going through over these four weeks uh, just a deep dive into the book of Ruth, and it may actually just enlighten us in some of the details, some of the nuances. I had a few people come up to me last week and said, oh, I never, I never thought about that in the story of Ruth. And so uh, hopefully that's been your experience uh, so far and will be your experience over these next couple weeks. Uh, but it is uh, just my joy to be here with all of you. Now, Ruth is a story about a Jewish husband and wife who, with their two sons, moved to Moab because of a famine. And what ends up happening is that husband dies. And so the wife, the mother of the family, her name is Naomi, uh, and her, so her husband dies. She becomes a widow. And her two sons are marry Moabite women. And so you have to understand something about the Jews and Moab is that uh, the Moabites were basically the sworn enemies of the Jews. And so here you have this woman, Naomi, who loses her husband in the country of Moab, and then her sons marry Moabite wives, and then her two sons die. And so as a result of the famine, their decision to leave Ju uh, Judah to go to Moab leaves her where she started with three Israelite men. She now has two Moabite daughters-in-law. And so she turns into a bitter person. Her name, she actually says, my name is Mara, call me bitter, because the Lord has been bitter to me. Look at what has been taken from me. So she ends up moving back to Judah because she hears that the famine is over. And one of the, um, one of the Moabite daughters-in-law ends up turning around because Naomi was like, go back home, go back to your people, your God. But Ruth is the other uh, daughter-in-law who ends up staying with her. And this is where we get the famous passage where it says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So Ruth is attaching herself to Naomi because in that culture, that was the right thing to do. Because Naomi, during that time, if you did not have a husband or a son to be able to protect and provide for you, you were left vulnerable in that society. Now, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm not saying that's a biblical principle that God all wants all of you guys to get married and have kids. But what I'm saying is during that time, the way that you were protected and provided for in that society is that you had a husband or you had sons that would provide that stability in that family. And so here you have a woman who left Judah with three men in her family and comes back with a Moabite daughter-in-law. No more men. And so Ruth says, I'm not going to just leave you by yourself. I'm going to stay with you. Chapter one ends up with Ruth and Naomi heading back to Judah. And it says by the time they got back, it was the end of the barley harvest or is the beginning of the barley harvest season. Now this is going to be Interesting. We don't typically, we, we read like agricultural things in scripture, but we're going to go like deep into agricultural stuff throughout this book of Ruth. But you've never thought about the barley harvest season. You've never really thought about the significance of barley harvest because we don't live like that. We don't live season to season. We don't live harvesting, storing, and like rationing. If we want to eat, we go to the store, we go to the restaurant. If we want food, we go to the grocery store, we buy what we want for that day or for that week. 
and we put it in our fridge and then we eat off of that. That's not how they live. That's not how they worked. What would end up happening is, uh, I'm sorry, I'm behind in my slides here. Um, so today we're going to look at this idea of the table, the table. Um, so chapter two begins with Naomi and Ruth basically starting their life over, right? We get this dramatic story of them mowing, going from Moab back to Judah and this dramatic, like, go back home. And, and Ruth is like, no, 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 I'm going to stay with you. And then they end up getting back to their home. And any of you've like moved or like, you know, get back from vacation or back from a trip and it's like late at night or whatever. And all you want to do is like sleep in your bed and like, we'll unpack tomorrow. I imagine it was sort of like that. They take this trek, move all their things back home. And Naomi returns to her home with Ruth. But what we fail to realize is that's their new life. Like they come from Moab and they settle back into their home in Judah. But that next day, they got to eat. That next day, they got to figure out what life is going to be like. And so Ruth and Naomi are thinking, okay, well, what do we do for food? We're going to see the significance of the fact that it was the barley harvest season right when they returned. So it says this in chapter two, verse one, it says, now Naomi had a relative, Naomi is the, the mother, had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, Elimelech is, was her late husband's name, whose name was Boaz. Now, if you've read your Bible, you know Boaz, you, you know where this story is going. So just keep that in mind. So Naomi has a relative through her, ex, her late husband named Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So basically, this is what is happening. They wake up the next day. They've just made this long trip. And Ruth and Naomi look at each other and say, well, we got to eat. And Ruth says, okay, well, let me go and glean in the fields. Now, we don't even use that word glean anymore, right? But basically, she's basically, let me go and grab grain from these fields. Okay, so she's like, we got to go eat. I got to go find food. You stay here. Let me go out. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, guess who? Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So what happens is Ruth says, Okay, let me just get up and go and go out and glean in a field. So she's going out to these fields. And what, what, what it says there, she gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, anybody here a reaper? I don't think so. So what you do is you, you cut down the grain stalks, right? And you're shaking, you're going to gather up bundles of grain. And then eventually you're going to make a pile. And we're going to talk about next week, actually what you do with those bundles of grain. But you're going through and you're, you're cutting down these stalks of grain, right? Now, as I'm cutting and I'm gathering, a few of these stalks may end up falling. 
Now, is it worth my time to stop, go back, and pick up these like two or three stocks of grain, put it back in the bundle and keep going. No, I'm just going through. I'm, I got a whole field to cover. I'm just gonna keep. So eventually, you know, some of the, the, the sheaves of grain end up falling. And what the poor in that society would do is they would go and they would see the reapers and they would just follow along and they would just pick up the scraps in the field. So she's gleaning in the field after the reapers. She's not cutting down stalks. That's, that's not okay. But what is okay is following along and gathering up some of the leftover sheaths. So essentially, this is actually the way that God has actually built in a sort of welfare system, a sort of taking care of the poor. In Leviticus 19, this is from the law. This is what God commanded us to do. It says, when you reap in the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, the traveler. I am the Lord your God. His command was, don't reap everything. Don't take everything that you planted. Leave some for those that don't have. So you see, what when Ruth wakes up, and as a Moabite daughter-in-law, widow in Judah, she looks at her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, I'm going to just go out in the field. She doesn't know, and she doesn't recognize that God's command way back in Leviticus 19 provided for her gleanings on the ground. God, long before... His grace had been established long before she even woke up that day and said, I will provide for you. I will command my people to provide for you. So when Ruth goes out into the field, she, doesn't, she maybe not, doesn't recognize the fact that what she is walking on and the gleanings that she's getting is an act of grace that God had long since established. Now, it's, it's also interesting here. So Boaz comes back and, and uh, you know, he's, he's the boss, right? So he's not, he's not there overseeing everything. He has got a person in charge of what's going on. And so he comes back and he's just like, oh, hey, what's going on? How's it going? And he's like, hey, he said, who is that? Who's that woman? But that's actually not what he said. He says, whose woman is that? Now, ladies, uh, let me say this. Gentlemen, I, I don't encourage you to, to uh, introduce yourself and ask a woman who she belongs to before you get to know her name, right? But understand this. Boaz is trying to keep a healthy distance from Ruth. So instead of coming up to a woman and just being like, he would just say, who is speaking for this woman? Who does she belong to? Because she's not mine. She doesn't belong to me. I'm not married to her. So, so before I go and approach her, who does she belong to? Who speaks for her? Because I don't want to cross over that barrier. So he's trying to do it as a matter of respect. But it just reinforces the fact that in that society, if you had a husband or children, a son, 
that was your provision and protection. So, so Boaz is basically saying, who is the one in charge of providing for this woman? And, and then it says, oh, well, it's actually the, the Moabite daughter-in-law that came back with Naomi, who Boaz would know because that's part of the same family. And then it says, I love this, she says, she said, please let me glean and, and gather the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She's been working hard. Ruth came and like having just arrived from Moab and she's been working hard. She's been not taking rest. She's not just getting handouts, but she's been after it. She's been working hard. So then Ruth 2 continues and it says, now Boaz talks to Ruth because he knows that she's not spoken for. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field and don't leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men, the, the workers that Boaz has, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Boaz says, okay, if you are not spoken for, you don't have another man you know, that, that you're married to, I'm going to protect you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide this protection. So, so you stay close. Don't go to another field. You stay in my field. And don't follow other people. Follow my young women. And, and, and when you are thirsty, you drink from my well. So he's saying, I'm going to protect you. Now what ends up happening is you reveal is when he says, have I, not have I not charged the young man not to touch you? Now, what's behind that is if you had a woman, a woman, a young woman who was out by herself and didn't have a man protecting her, wasn't spoken for, she was left vulnerable in that society. Because if something happened to her, who would be the one to step up and say what happened to her was wrong? Now, again, back in that society, that's why men were so important because they were the protectors in that society. I think it's somewhat appropriate that we're speaking about this on Father's Day because I think many ways fathers take the mantle of provision and protection, not exclusively, but in many ways, fathers are looked as as protectors and providers. And so if Ruth is left without a husband, she's left vulnerable in that society and Boaz says, don't go to another field. I don't want you to be violently attacked by someone else. You stay here and you will not be touched. So he's protecting her. He's saying, stay close to me. Stay close to my men and my women. And he says, I know what you have done. 
I've heard the story of what you gave up to be with Naomi. And so this is God's repayment for your commitment to Naomi. Glean in my fields, follow my servants, drink my water. Now it's interesting here. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a seminary, you know, education here in 30 seconds. Whenever you see the word Lord and it's in all caps, that word Lord is Yahweh. That's the Jewish name of God. So you're, you're only going to see it in the Old Testament, right? Because it's only in Hebrew. And it's when the Hebrews, the Jews, were saying the Hebrew name of God. And so when Boaz is saying, Yahweh repay you for what you have done, a full reward be given to you by Yahweh, the God of Israel. What he is saying is a Jewish man saying, my Jewish God repay you. Ruth is not Jewish. She's a Moabite. So he's saying, my Jewish God repay you for what you have done. So understand that when he's saying the Lord in all caps, uh, it's Yahweh. It's the Jewish name for God. You can think of certain circumstances, for instance, in, in uh, Jonah. Uh, you'll, you'll see the story of them talking on the boat, right? And they have travelers from all over the world, but Jonah was the one who was the Jew. And so they were like, what God is doing this? They don't say Lord in all caps because they don't know the, the Jewish name of God. And it's Jonah who says, well, let me introduce you to Yahweh. He's the one who's making the storm come over because he's mad at me, right? Like, so this is understanding in that culture, the Jews were the ones who used Lord, all caps, because that was the name of Yahweh uh, in Scripture. So we're going to continue here in chapter 2. And it says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he pastured her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw, saw what she had gleaned. She had also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Now, what ends up happening here is Boaz, again, he's got all these workers, but they're having, they're having dinner, right? They're having a feast. And he's like, Ruth, come and sit at the table. Have a seat at the table. And don't just eat the grain that you've picked off of the ground, but come and have the, the cooked grain, the roasted grain. Come and eat the best food and dip it into the wine. Have the best food and the best drink. Come and be seated at the table of privilege. And then Boaz says, don't just pick up the gleanings, Ruth. You can go into the sheaves and grab them yourselves. You can actually take the stalks that are still standing. And then to the men, he says, you know, as you're gathering your bundles, leave some behind. Like, don't be so good at your job that she has nothing left to glean. Actually, make sure that you're leaving some behind her. And so she grabs all that she can, and it says uh, she beat out what she had, 
you know, so you get the stalk, but you don't need the whole stalk. You just need the little grain. And so she beats out these, this morsels of grain and she gets an ephah of barley. And you guys are going, wow. I'm just kidding. You have no idea what an ephah of barley is. But it was about 40 pounds. So I'm Korean. Uh, and so when I go to the supermarket, the Asian supermarket, at the end of the register, you have the piles of rice bags. It's about, you know, one of those huge bags of rice. That's what she's coming home with. She's coming with a 40 pound bag of barley, of grain. And so when she comes home, you know, now think about Naomi, right? She's probably tidying up and saying like, what's going on? And Ruth is out all day until like way into the evening. And she's like, okay, she's probably going to come with just like a few handfuls of barley. And we're going like, to, you know, carry it over for us a day. And then, you know, Ruth comes barging through the door and she's got this big old rice bag full of, of barley just for the two of them. And she's like, wow, where did you go? Right. And Ruth is like, puts down the bag of, of barley. And she's like, not only that, I have roasted grain that I couldn't finish for dinner. Right. So now imagine this, right? Like you've just come back because you, you know, the famine is over and Ruth sets out. You don't know what she's doing or what. And Naomi's probably thinking, God, how are we going to live? What's going to happen? And Ruth barges in the door, slams down a 40 pound bag of barley. And then she's like, oh yeah, here's the leftover grain that I couldn't finish. This is my doggy bag of, of grain from dinner. You think about that picture. It's an overwhelming amount of provision. Day one, day one, an overwhelming, overflowing amount of provision that God had set in motion years before, that God was providing for. And it, remember, when it says that Ruth set out, she didn't set out and say, hey, Naomi, where is Boaz's field? It says that it so happened that she ended up in Boaz's field. So she did not intend to go to Boaz's field, but I would say God intended for her to end up in Boaz's field. Verse 19, it says, And the mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law said to her, Naomi says to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. She sees all of this and she's like, Whoa. Where did you get all this? Blessed is that person. Because again, she had no intention of going to Boaz's field. But she ended up there because God was intending that. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The living, Naomi, Ruth, or the dead, Elimelech and the two sons. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. You see, protection. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi says, this is good. And she says, not only did Boaz protect you 
Stay close to my men and you will not be harmed. Not only did he protect her by saying, you're not going to be assaulted, right? Stay close. But he also provides for her. He gives her roasted grain dipped in wine and an overflowing ephah of barley. So there's the protection and there's the provision that God provides through Boaz for Ruth and Naomi during this time. Then it says, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now that word redeemer is actually going to come up again uh, in these next couple weeks. So if you want to know what that word means, you're going to have to keep coming back to church. Um, but those of you who may know Ruth, you may, you may know actually where this story is going. But you may not know all of the different inner workings about that word redeemer and all of the different nuances of what's going on. And so I encourage you to stick around. But here is this idea of Boaz being a relative, one who can redeem Ruth. It's basically someone, not a husband, not a son, a, a male relative that can be a protector and provider for them permanently. And so Ruth tells Naomi about this protection, provision, and Naomi's like, stay close to him. And then Ruth 2 ends again with this agricultural, you know, phrase, right? Ruth chapter one said it was the beginning of the barley harvest. And Ruth two ends with, uh, so she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. So understand this, at the, that was day one. And so then for the rest of the harvest, which is probably about a week long, Ruth was going out into Boaz's field and gleaning barley and wheat. But the, the harvest ends. You don't harvest all year round. You harvest for, you plant, you grow, you cultivate, and then you reap. And this is harvest season. And there's only one time out of the year where you reap what you have sown. And so this is the rationing that needs to happen for the rest of the year. And so when the end of the barley and wheat harvest ends, the question remains, well, what are Ruth and Naomi going to do each and every day? Because the harvest season is over. You're going to have to come back next week to find out. But so I'm good, right? Like, you know, I'm br I bring in. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, so I want to bring out in this story three different ideas for us to encourage us as those who are seeking provision and protection from the Lord. The first one that I want to look at is this idea of when you're eating scraps in a field, Ruth set out, and that day, she started her day walking into a field that she did not know, and all she's doing is picking up scraps in a field. And if you've ever been outside working in the hot sun, and you're bending down and picking up, and you're sitting there and you're wondering, what have I done with my life that I am, I am sustaining myself based on what they leave behind. If you feel like in, in, in society and in this world that all you do, no matter how hard you work and put your hand to the plow each and every day and all you're getting are the leftovers from someone else, you know what Ruth was feeling. I'm just eating scraps. I'm, I'm getting scraps. I'm in a field with the sun beating down on me. And I'm watching these people take bundles so much that they can't even carry it. 
God, if I'm turning to you for provision, I mean, look, look down the road. Look at the reapers. Don't just look at the reapers. Look at who they're working for. Look at the, the owner of the field who has storehouses of bundles of grain. And I'm picking up scraps. When Ruth set out, she didn't know she was going to Boaz's field. She didn't, she probably didn't know because she wasn't Jewish. She probably didn't know Leviticus 19, where God commanded his people to not pick up the scraps and not reap to the edge of the field. So God was providing for her. God was directing her to Boaz's field in ways that she could not acknowledge or see in that moment. But all she could see is that she was picking up scraps in the field. But just because you're picking up scraps in a field doesn't mean that God is not providing for you. It doesn't mean that God is not seeing you. It doesn't mean that God is not able to keep sustaining you. It doesn't mean that he's not directing you. It doesn't mean that he's not protecting you. That means that you are still living under the sovereignty of grace, even when you are eating scraps in a field. Sometimes God's grace looks like gleaning in a field, and all you can see are the scraps of society. It reminds me of a story of a woman named Cory Ten Boom. Those of you who may know Cory Ten Boom, she was a Dutch Christian during the time of World War II. And her family, Cory and her sister Betsy and her parents, were Dutch Christians who ended up hiding Jews in a hole that they had built in their house. They hid Jews because Jews were being uh, persecuted. But eventually, they were found out. And Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were sent to a concentration camp to be punished alongside the Jews. And the conditions obviously were so terrible, but one thing that was particularly troublesome to Corey was the amount of fleas that had infested their bunk. Now, Betsy was a very strong Christian, and Corey, in a moment of weakness, was complaining about the fleas. Here they are in a concentration camp being punished for doing the right thing. And not only on top of that, but now we have to deal with fleas. And, and Betsy turns to Corey and says, you know what? Corey, just be, be thankful for the fleas. And Corey was like, you're crazy. Are you kidding? Look at our life. How in the world would, should we be thankful for? Imagine where we were and where we are now. And now on top of all of this, we get fleas. How could I be thankful for the fleas? And Betsy says, well, we're still alive. And yeah, the bunks may be flea infested, but we're still have bunks. We're still sleeping indoors. So be thankful for the fleas. And Corey could not wrap her mind around that feels like the same feeling of when I'm just picking up scraps. Well, be thankful for the scraps. Thankful for the scraps. I mean, look at the reapers, right? And look at the storehouses and I'm just picking up scraps. So when you're eating scraps in a field, or you're eating a feast at a table. Because Ruth started out and she was in a field and she was eating scraps, but she ended the day seated at the feasting table. 
And Boaz says, come and sit here and take the roasted grain, dip it in wine and eat that and take some for leftover and carry the bag of barley home. Ruth, Ruth 2, that first day, started out in a field but ended up at a table. And I very easily could have just said, well, you know what? This is it. That's why I did all that. That's why I, I, I didn't stop picking up the grains in the field because I knew God was going to reward me tonight and I'm going to sit at a table. You see, there, in a lot of ways we think, oh, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to eat. I'm going to pick up the scraps because, you know, hey, God, you, you see me, right? Like there's a table at the end of this, right? Like you paying attention, everybody paying attention. And you're like looking for the table. Because sometimes the story ends with us at a table with the roasted grain and the wine, but, but sometimes it ends up with us just in the field. But you have to understand that when Ruth is seated at the table, who, whose table was it? Who, whose field was it? Well, yeah, it was Boaz's, but who brought her there? God was the one who pushed her. So when you're eating scraps in a field that the years before God had established as a, as a manner of society taking care of the poor, and then when God directed you into the field who happens to be a relative of the person that you ended up coming back from Moab with, God was the one who was directing that. And so whether you're eating at a table or whether you're eating scraps in a field, God is the one who brings provision. God is the one whether you're just eating the scraps or the roasted grain at the table, God is the one who brings that provision for us. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know you. I don't know whether you're in a field right now or you're at a table. I don't know whether you're in a season right now, whether you're in a field or whether you're at a table. But what I do know is that God is our God of provision and protection. You may not feel provided for, you may not feel protected, but on this Father's Day, our worship leader told us and reminded us that God is an awesome God. God is an awesome Father that does provide for us and protect us. But you may be like, where's the table? God provided for and protected Ruth even when she was in the field. So don't think that you're all entitled to a table. That God's provision is only at the table. No, God's provision was in the field just as much as in the table. We told you the story of Corey Temboom. Be thankful for the fleas. And she said, I can't be thankful for the fleas. Well, what ended up happening was Corey and Betsy in their, in their little uh, bunk, they, uh, some women there were Christians. And they were able to sneak in scraps, papers of scripture. And these women would hide these pieces of scrap paper under their bunks and under their pillows and, and things like that. And they would hide them. But they were, those scraps of scripture were, the, were they just hanging on every word. And that was what she attributed to the encouragement that got her through this to the point of survival, she ends up surviving through this uh, concentration camp. But it was those scraps of scripture. Now let's just pause here for a second. We all got Bibles, we all got phones, we got apps with the scriptures. And how much do we hang on every word of the scripture to sustain us through our times? But that's 
another sermon for another day. But so they are hanging on to these scraps of scriptures. But for this whole time, they're in fear of getting caught. Because if the guards come and see a scrap of scripture, there's going to be some punishment. Some people would be put to death. Some people would be severely punished. But God somehow allowed them to maintain these scraps of scripture. And they didn't know why they were able to maintain and keep these scraps of scripture until one day they overheard the guards talking outside. Somebody was, one of the guards was tasked with coming in and, and checking for, for contraband in that bunk. And the guard said, I don't want to go in there. There are fleas in there. Be thankful for the fleas. Now, what, what is a great story for this woman, and it's such an encouragement. And it, but what is a challenge to me is that sometimes all I see are the fleas. Sometimes all I see is the field and all the scraps and just say, God, this does not feel like provision to me. And so you say, we don't always get the end of the story. We don't always get to hear the guards say, oh, I don't, I don't want to go in there because of the fleas. We don't always get the end of that story. And so all we have to go on is looking at the fleas, looking at the scrap, looking at the field, looking at the hot sun, and in faith be able to say, God, you are still providing for me. I don't get to see the table. I don't get to hear the guard. I don't get to taste the wine, but all I see tells me that you are still providing for me, that you are still protecting me. Brothers and sisters, you may not see the table. You may only see the field. God is still providing for us. when you are eating scraps in a field or when you are eating at a table. But here, today, in this day and age, we have the story of Christ that Ruth and Naomi did not. So it's not just a field and it's not just a table. Actually, we have a cross that we can look at. So it's not just about the field, it's not just about the table, but actually when we can stare at a cross, and recognize that God is gracious to us, no matter the situation. And so you may be feeling like you're just eating uh, scraps in a, in a field or eating uh, the provision of the table, but we nevertheless have a cross that we can look at and see how God has been providing for us through his son for all time. So my encouragement to you is you may find yourself in a field or at a table, but don't lose sight of the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, Remember that, at, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You used to be far off. You used to be alienated. You used to be cut off. But God, through Christ, has brought you near. So brothers and sisters, what I'm here to tell you is that you may feel cut off, you may feel far away, but through Christ, you have been brought near. 
That is the access. That is the provision. That is the protection that God is giving to us. You have been brought near. So be encouraged. Be reminded that even though you may feel like you are eating scraps in a field or whether you are feasting at a table, do not lose sight of the provision of the cross. God is gracious to us. God does provide for us. Amen? Let's pray.